1: Ayradana Kunja Bihari Gopi Channavalla Baghi Badatari Gopi Channavaghi Badata Gopi Chanavalla Giri Oh uh...
2: Raj Gachari is totally to Shishman's divine grace. Vinda, veda, pabhava,
1: jai Vaishnava Brindiki jai Grantra Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om namo Bhagavate Vasudevaaya. Hare Krishna.
2: Reading from the Shrimad Bhagavatam, Canto Four, Chapter Four, Sati her Body, Text Sixteen.
1: Kim, Kim. va, va. shvakam Ashivam Na, Vidus, Tvad, Anya
2: Brahmadayas, there's a H in Brahmadayas
1: before the M. Tam, Avakirya, Jurta Shmashane, Tan, Malya, Bhasma, Nirukpali, Avasat, Pishachair, Ye, Murtapir, Tadhati, Touch, Cheranavasrushtam.
2: So, in the second line before the M, the first word, you need an H. It's like a Brahmana. For those who are language geeks, there's a little quirk with the word Brahmana. Anytime you see H before M, like in Brahmana or Brahma, technically it's not pronounced like it looks. It's the only incidence I know of in Sanskrit where there's a little special case. It's technically pronounced brahma, Brahmana. I found that out. Technically, but you know, don't worry about it. But if you're into if you're into like languages and, and details like that. There you go. Happy birthday. And the last line, sir, there's also something. Yeah, more to peer, The second word should have an R before the D.
1: King Bashivakyamashivam Navedustvadanyi. King From her, the yestum of Akiria Jatash Mashani, the Yasma Kiria
0: Jatashani,
1: the Malia Pasman Rukapalya
0: Vasatisha
1: Please chant.
0: I am
2: For word. Kimva, weather. Shiva Akim, named Shiva. Ashivam, inauspicious. Navidhu, do not know. Tvatanye, other than you. Brahma Adiyaha, Brahma and others. Tam, him, Lord Shiva. Avakirya, Avakirya, scattered. Jotaha, having, having twisted hair. Shmashane, Shmashane in the crematorium. crematorium. Tatmalya Pasmandrukapali,
3: who was, was garlanded
2: with human skulls and smeared with ashes.
3: Smeared
2: with ashes. Avasat, Avasat, associated. Pishachaihi, with demons. Ye, who? Murtapehe, with the head. Tatati, place. Tatcharana avasrushtam fallen from his lotus feet. Srila Prabhupada's translation purport Ki Jai. Translation Do you think, this is Sati condemning her father, do you think? that greater, more respectable personalities than you, such as Lord Brahma, do not know this inauspicious person who goes under the name Lord Shiva? He associates with the demons in the crematorium. His locks of hair are scattered all over his body. He is garlanded with human skulls and smeared with ashes from the crematorium. But in spite of all these inauspicious qualities, great personalities like Brahma honor him by accepting the flowers offered to his lotus feet and placing them with great respect on their heads." Srila Prabhupada's purport. It is useless to condemn a great personality like Lord Shiva, and this is being stated by his wife Sati, to establish the supremacy of her husband. First, she said, you call Lord Shiva inauspicious because he associates with demons in crematoriums, covers his body with the ashes of the dead, and garlands himself with the skulls of human beings. You have shown so many defects, but you do not know that his position is always transcendental. Although he appears inauspicious, why do personalities like Brahman respect the dust of his lotus feet, and place on their heads with great respect those very garlands who are condemned by you? Since Sati was a chaste woman and the wife of Lord Shiva, it was her duty to establish the elevated position of Lord Shiva, not only by sentiment, but by facts. Lord Shiva is not an ordinary living entity. This is the conclusion of Vedic scripture. He is neither on the level of the Supreme Personality of Godhead nor on the level of the ordinary living entities. Brahma is in almost all cases an ordinary living entity. Sometimes when there is no ordinary living entity available, the post of Brahma is occupied by an expansion of Lord Vishnu, but generally this post is occupied by a greatly pious living entity within this universe. Thus, Lord Shiva's position is constitutionally higher than that of Lord Brahma, although Lord Shiva appeared as the son of Brahma. Here it is mentioned that even personalities like Brahma accept the so-called inauspicious flowers, and the dust of the lotus feet of Lord Shiva. Great sages like Marichi, Atri, Purgu, and the others among the nine great sages, who are descendants of Brahma, also respect Lord Shiva in such a way, because they all know that Lord Shiva is not an ordinary living entity. In many Puranas it is sometimes asserted that a demigod is elevated to such a high position that he is almost on an equal level with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But the conclusion that Lord Vishnu is the Supreme Personality of Godhead is confirmed in every scripture. Lord Shiva is described in the Brahma Samhita to be like curd or yogurt. Curd is not different from milk. Since milk is transformed into curd, in one sense curd is also milk. Similarly, Lord Shiva is in one sense the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but in another sense he is not, just as curd is milk, although we have to distinguish between the two. These descriptions are in the Vedic literature. Whenever we find that a demigod occupies a position apparently more elevated than that of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, it is just to draw the devotee's attention to that particular demigod. It is also stated in the Bhagavad Gita 9.25 that if one wants to worship a particular demigod, The Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is sitting in everyone's heart, gives one greater and greater attachment for that demigod, so that one may be elevated to the demigod's abode. Yanti Deva Vrta Devan. By worshipping demigods, one can elevate himself to the abodes of the demigods. Similarly by worshipping the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one can be elevated to the spiritual kingdom that is stated in different different places in Vedic literature. Here, Lord Shiva is praised by Sati, partially due to her personal respect for Lord Shiva, since he is her husband, and partially due to his exalted position, which exceeds that of ordinary living entities, even Lord Brahma. The position of Lord Shiva is accepted by Lord Brahma, so Daksha, Sati's father, should also recognize him. That was the point of Sati's statement. She did not actually come to her father's house to participate in the function, although before coming, she pleaded with her husband that she wanted to see her sisters and her mother. That was a plea only, for actually, at heart, she maintained the idea that she would convince her father, Daksha, that it was useless to continue being envious of Lord Shiva. That was her main purpose. When she was unable to convince her father, she gave up the body he had given her, as will be seen in the following verses.
1: Omignan timidant her siyaknyanan janashirakaya, Chakshurun militang yena, tasmai, shri guruve namaha, vanchakal patrup shush chakrupas and tupia evacher, petitana, paw namaha, Jaya shri Krishna chaitanya Prabhu nitananda, shri advaita gadatara, shivaza, the Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Do you think
2: that greater, more respectable personalities than you, such as Lord Brahma, do not know this inauspicious person who goes under the name Lord Shiva? He associates with the demons in the crematorium. His locks of hair are scattered all over his body. He is garlanded with with human skulls and smeared with ashes from the crematorium, but in spite of all these inauspicious qualities. Great personalities like Brahma honor him by accepting the flowers offered to his lotus feet and placing them with great respect on their heads. Hare Krishna. So if you'll indulge me, give me your mercy, then we can explore. There's so much in this purport. I actually thought of like, three completely different ways this class can go. So, I'll do one, because in my experience, if you try and do too much, it just doesn't work out. I'll do one, and we'll touch on some other points, and you can also reflect back on them later if you'd like. So, a few points. Um, Very interesting. In the purport, Prabhupada mentions that in the Vedic literature, there are descriptions in different places where demigods are, on the level of the Supreme Personality of Godhead or higher. For example, in the Ramayana, uh, famously, Lord Ramachandra actually worships Lord Shiva. And um, that's not an isolated incident. The Lord honors his devotees in many places, the devotee is elevated in many places in the Shastra. And Prabhupada says here, it is just to draw the devotees' attention to that particular demigod. And then he refers to Bhagavad Gita 9.25. Now, based on that reference, my understanding is that when he says to draw the devotees' attention, he doesn't mean the devotees of Krishna. He means the devotees of that particular demigod. Because as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, "Satya yukta ihate labhate kaman vihitan hitan Worshipping a demigod, by the faith that Krishna gives them, they get the results that they are expecting and wanting from that demigod, but those results come from Krishna alone. So the Vedic literature actually gives the conclusion that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Vishnu is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But at the same time, as is Krishna's general tendency, he facilitates persons who have a different level of consciousness, and therefore a different level of realization. Um, Anybody who worships a demigods is worshiping Krishna, but in a wrong way says Krishna. So he offers that way for those who are on that level and not ready to go further. And that's the reason why, in a nutshell, we see demigod worship in the Vedas. For example, in the actual four original Vedas, there are far more mantras glorifying Indra and Vayu and other demigods than there are glorifying Vishnu. Although if you look carefully, you see that all the fire sacrifices and different things that are being described. Actually, all the different offerings to demigods conclude with an offering to Vishnu as the Yageshwar. He's present there. He's the actual enjoyer. But Vishnu is always with his devotees. The demigods are uh, responsible for things in the material world. So if you want to have some material result, you include them in the sacrifice. And for those who are more or less attracted to material things, there is more or less indication to worship Indra and so forth. And if anybody ever asks you why that's the case, now you know. Krishna is facilitating those who want to approach his, his parts and parcels. Another point that I thought was interesting, unrelated, we're just touching on, um, which could be, again, a whole class. At the very end of the purport, Prabhupada points out that Sati actually didn't go to the, this sacrifice and this family event. At the end of the day, it wasn't really to see her sisters and her mother and her aunts and to wear nice clothes, and to do this, and to do that, and to have a social function. Although he established earlier in his purports, Prabhupada did, that that's natural for a woman. Um, I mean, it's natural for any conditioned soul, but perhaps particularly so for a woman, says Prabhupada. But underneath that was a deeper reason. And we can reflect on how Sati may or may not have even been aware that this is the overriding reason for wanting to go. Um, I say that not on the strength of any personal realization that that's the case for her, but I can see it in myself, and that's a tendency for conditioned souls, which she's playing the part of here. We do one thing we don't even really know why we're doing it. We're motivated by different levels of reasons, and therefore it's very easy for us to justify our activities. Well, of course I should go to this thing. My my mom is there. Like I mean, come on, like all my friends are there. Like I should have an active social life. It's like, I'm not, I'm not you, I'm Lord Shiva. I can't live in a hut and do nothing but chant the Lord's names. I have some material desires. And that's true, but there was a deeper reason. She felt that it was her responsibility to instruct her father and that he really should come to his senses on this point that, as Prabhupada says, it's useless to envy Lord Shiva. It's useless to have malice towards him. Um, but that, that very attachment would, because she is so attached to that, and there is a a deep spiritual principle behind defending a devotee, that very attachment would cause her so much pain, so much so that she would actually feel that it was justified to commit suicide. So just to touch on this point that um, we may not be aware of our motivations at different times. That's part of being a conditioned soul. There are different aspects to our psychology. And usually, at least in my experience, we'll use a higher principle to justify our lower principle. We'll do something, and we do it for reasons that deep way down we may actually understand are kind of down here, but we'll justify with a principle that's way up here. Uh, of course, Peru, I have to overeat. This is like it's <laughs> an appearance day, and like I really have to honor you know Lord Narsinga on his appearance day. But in our heart, we don't really care that it's Lord Narsinga's appearance day. We really just want to overeat. I mean, I, at least for myself, I can say I've been there. I'm not going to say any of you have, but. This phenomenon is not unknown to me. So just to touch on and bring it out. Now what I really wanted to talk about is something a little bit sweeter than either of those topics, although they're both very important. This point, you know, that Sati focuses on, she's chastising her father and saying, look, do you think you know better than Brahma? Like calling back to the incident where Daksha actually felt offended. Daksha enters the arena of sacrifice. He's supposed to be presiding over the whole thing. He's got this whole big title and false ego complex. I'm, I am the man here. People have to respect me. Um, That's what happens when you think you're the boss. You have to actually, you have to actually get respect. Now you're attached to that. Everyone else, if you don't, if you know you're not the boss, you can just be happy. But he couldn't, he actually needed that respect. And he saw two people didn't stand up, Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma. And he could tolerate Lord Brahma, but he couldn't tolerate Lord Shiva because of his grudge against him. So so is calling back, look, you you know that Brahma is your superior. You've acted and spoken in that way. You should understand he respects Lord Shiva. Why would you contradict him if he's your superior? You should respect the principles he follows. You've directly mocked Lord Shiva. You've insulted him saying, look at this inauspicious person dressed with uh, the flower garlands of dead bodies given to the, the, the now burnt to ash remnants in the crematorium. He smears himself with those very ashes. And yet Lord Brahma, who you have recognized as your superior, takes those remnants on his own head out of respect. So what does that say about Shiva? He's supremely auspicious. So I want to talk about remnants, because that's our culture. Our culture is receiving the remnants of mercy from the Vaishnavas. And that's how we live. We live in that way, in terms of our eating process. We live that way in terms of all of our spiritual activities. It's a um, kind of a, a common turn of phrase that you see among Vaishnava uh, poets, Vaishnav philosophers. They will honor their previous acharyas and then they'll begin speaking on the topic that they've written about. And they say, actually, I'm just chewing the remnants of Raghunath Das Goswami. I'm chewing the remnants of Rupa Goswami. I'm chewing the remnants of Srila Prabhupada and trying to find a little nectar there and I'm passing it on to all of you. They're actually establishing that. This poem, which may be just breathtaking, this presentation of uh, Krishna Lila, um, this book that Prabhupada has translated or anybody else, is actually just the the remnants of what has been received from the previous Acharya. So these Bhaktivedanta purports are Mahaprasadam. They're the remnants of the remnants of the remnants. We're getting from Prabhupada Bhakti We're getting Bhakti Not Thakur. We're getting several of the six Goswamis. We're getting Raghunatha. we're getting uh, Vishnu Chakvarati Thakur, uh Acharya from, from um, the Sri Sampradaya and other Sampradayak Acharyas, and Prabhupada has chewed the remnants of their realizations, and just like a bird, pre the meal for the little you know, little chicks, they can't even eat properly themselves. You see the mother bird just eats something and then digests it and spits it right back out into the little baby bird's mouth. They don't have to digest it, it's pre-digested, little smoothie. All the nectar is there. And then at the beginning of Bhagavatam we have this statement, shukha amrita dravya sangyutam, that this Bhagavatam has emanated from the lips of Shukadeva Goswami, therefore it has become more relishable. And shukha means parrot. The idea is that when a parrot touches a fruit, it becomes more sweet. Shukamuka Amruta Dravya Samyutam. If you look at the word for word in that verse, Prabhupada translates that verse very interestingly. Dravya means soft. And in the word for word, he points out this means semi-solid and therefore easily digestible. Those are his words. This bhagatam is now like it's a fruit, right? It's the ripened fruit of all the Vedas. That's right there in the Bhagavatam. It says that about itself. The Ichary is confirmed. This is the ripened fruit of all the Vedas. But dravya, it's become semi-solid because it's begin, become digested by Shukadeva Goswami. We don't grab the Bhagatam and say it's mine. We're taking the remnants from Shukadev, actually indirectly through so many acharyas, and therefore it's pre-digested with their realizations. Their own personal bhava is infused into it. When you associate with Bhagatam, you associate with Shukadev. When you associate with Bhagatam, you associate with Parikshit, with all the acharyas. They're all there. They're all relishing that flow that's coming from Radha Krishna. So this is the point of honoring the remnants. And Sati touches on this aspect of culture because her father knows this. This is culture. He's a cultured man. His father is Lord Brahma. His, his son-in-law is Lord Shiva. Practically, he associates with, with the Lord himself on a regular basis. He knows these things. Cultured societies deal with this principle of honoring remnants. So I want to refer to this aspect of our culture because it's such a beautiful thing. And it's going to come out in the Chittana Chirrutamrata which is where we go when you want to see culture in action. When you want to see culture in action, you go to Chaitanya Shurtamrata. The philosophy, culture is philosophy in action. So, in the Antilita, chapter 16, which is entitled, appropriately enough, Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu tastes nectar from the lips of Lord Sri Krishna. We have this description of Kalidas. Kalidas is an uncle of Raghunath Das Goswami. He had a goal. His goal was to eat the remnants of food left by Vaishnavas. And according to text nine, Kalidas ate the remnants of food of as many Vaishnavas as there were in Bengal. That was his his vow. I want to live on the remnants of devotees. He would go to all the Vaishnavas, born in Brahmin families, be they neophyte or advanced devotees and present them with gifts of first class edibles. So he would give some boga to them. And Kaviraj Goswami points out it didn't matter whether they were advanced devotees or not. And later he says he approached non brahmins and low-class persons too. Low-class by the estimation of materialists. He didn't care. He had absolutely no consideration for their material position. He didn't even really consider their spiritual position. If they were a devotee, they were good enough for him to honor the remnants of. And he would go and he would offer some fruit, this and that, make a gift of it. Then he would hide and in this manner, eat the remnants of food they threw away. It was very sneaky. So there's a story here about how he approached Jadu Thakur. Jadu Thakur was born in a materially lower-class family, and he made a gift of mangoes to him. And he offered obeisances, and and, uh, Jadu Thakur said, I belong to a low caste, and you're a very respectable guest. How shall I serve you? If you permit me, I'll send some food to a Brahmin's house, and there you may take prasadam. If you do so, I shall then live very comfortably. He's very humbly taking the position. I am this low-class person, Jadu Thakur says. How can I serve you? Best is if I arrange for some food to be brought to a Brahmana, they can offer it because they're advanced. I'm not so advanced. I'm a very degraded person. You can eat there and then I'll be happy. And Kali Das replied, I have have one request. My dear sir, please bestow your mercy upon me. I have come to see you, although I am very fallen and sinful. I have one desire, please be merciful to me by kindly placing your feet upon my head and so the dust on your feet may touch it. (laughs) So you know how that's going to go over. Jadwatakura says, it does not befit you to ask this of me. I belong to a very low-class family, whereas you are a very respectable, rich gentleman. And then Kalidas is described, he recited some verses from the Bhagavatam. And when you recite Shastra, the devotees become happy. So it's Thakur was very happy to hear this. So the verses he quotes talks about how it doesn't matter whether one is a learned scholar, if they don't engage in devotional service, they're not accepted as Krishna's devotee. And if they are a devotee, then they actually have all good qualities. And they're qualified to actually practice all kinds of Vedic sacrifices. They quote Devahuti, oh, put the and Jadotaku said, Yes, you're right. Of course you're right. The Bhagavatam is always right. This is very beautiful. Thank you for quoting that. There's just one detail. What you're talking about pertains to devotees. I'm not really a devotee. I'm just trying to be a devotee. But thanks for the praise. And so, basically and I said, okay, that's okay. Anyway, have the mangoes. And uh, it was nice talking to you. I feel purified just by being around you. Then he would hide. He would hide next to the ditch. See, in those days, there was no such thing as plastic, kids. Everything was very organic and simple. So they had a little ditch. And what you do, you eat your mango. And what's mango? It's just a bunch of like glucose, right? The skin itself is just going to deteriorate like in a couple of days, so they would wrap it up in a banana skin, the, b- the banana leaf, the leaf of a banana plant is actually like very broad and makes a great plate and then you can wrap that plate up and just throw it away at the end, put it in a ditch where you compost everything and it just composts and becomes totally natural um, non you know non, uh, doesn't interfere with the, the natural cycle of production of anything and it's just you go about your life. So there was this ditch next to Jadwathakur's house. And Kalidas knew he's going to throw his remnants away there. He wouldn't give them to me for free. He wouldn't, he wouldn't just volunteer his remnants because he's so humble. So I'll hide and wait. And so he, Jadwathakur, takes the mangoes, gives them to his wife. And he, well, first he offers them in his mind to Krishna. Then she takes the mangoes and then offers them to Jadu He begins to eat them. They both eat. They put the seeds and the mango, you know, remnants of the pulp on the banana leaf, throw it into the ditch, and he jumps in the ditch, licks the banana bark and the mango seeds and skins, and while licking them, he was overwhelmed with jubilation and ecstatic love. In this way, Kalidas ate the remnants of food left by all the Vaishnavs residing in Bengal. And then. It's described that when Mahaprabhu went to puri he had a standing order. No living being could take the, the water of his feet that had washed his feet. Some of his intimate devotees, however, would take it by some trick. One day as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was washing his feet in that place, Kalidas came and extended his palm to take the water. Kalidas drank one palmful, and then a second and a third. Then Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu forbade him to drink more. Do not act in this way anymore. I have fulfilled your desire as far as possible. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the most exalted, omniscient, supreme personality of Godhead, and therefore he knew that Kalidas, in the core of his heart, had full faith in Vaishnavas. Because of this quality, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu satisfied him with mercy not attainable by anyone else. He was so satisfied, Mahaprabhu was, with this faith that Kalidas had in the devotees that at a time when he wasn't giving his remnants to anybody, he gave it three times to Kalidas. So, in verse 59 of this chapter, let's start with 58. Kavaraj Goswami speaks in the first person. He gives us a direct instruction. Therefore, giving up hatred and hesitation, try to eat the remnants of the food of Vaishnavas, for you will thus be able to achieve your desired goal of life. The remnants of food offered to Lord Krishna are called Mahaprasadam. After some Mahaprasadam has been taken by a devotee, the remnants are elevated to Maha-Mahaprasadam. Then there's this very nice verse you can memorize. bhakta pada Tuli ara bhakta pada jala pakta pakta oba tina mahavala The dust of the feet of a devotee, the water that has washed the feet of a devotee, and the remnants of food left by a devotee are three very powerful substances. By rendering service to these three, one attains the supreme goal of ecstatic love for Krishna. In all the revealed scriptures, this is loudly declared again and again. Therefore, my devotees, please hear me, for I insist again and again, please keep faith in these three and render service to them without hesitation. Wow. I mean, Kairaj Swami is now stepping into the spotlight twice to speak in the first person and directly instruct us. From these three, one achieves the highest goal of life, ecstatic love of Krishna. This is the greatest mercy of Lord Krishna. The evidence is Kalinas himself. And then just to give a little more credit to what prasadam actually is, we have this description of Mahaprabhu actually tasting prasadam himself. So in Jagannath Puri, Jagannath is offered the greatest quality of boga, and it's offered with so much love, and so the attendants of Jagannath have so much respect and appreciation for Mahaprabhu, they're giving him the remnants of Jagannath Prasadam. Now is just honoured that Prasadam. He tasted a portion of the Prasadam. To Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Prasadam tasted millions upon millions of times better than nectar, and thus he was fully satisfied. The hair all over his body stood on end, and incessant tears flowed from his eyes. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu considered, Where has such a taste in this prasadam come from? Certainly it is due to its having been touched by the nectar of Krishna's lips. Understanding this, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu felt an emotion of ecstatic love for Krishna. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu spoke, These are remnants of food that Krishna has eaten and thus turned to nectar with his lips. It surpasses heavenly nectar. And even such demigods as Lord Brahma find it difficult to obtain." And it goes on. So, this is our culture. This nectar, which Mahaprabhu is actually able to directly experience, is coming from Krishna. Actually, we don't see reality the way it is. We see it according to our own conditioning. If we want to know what reality is, we have to actually take a look at the lives of devotees, pure devotees and Krishna himself. Here, Krishna has taken the, the role of his own devotee, so he's showing how the purest realization of Krishna manifests when one honors his prasada. Basically if our hairs aren't standing on end and we're not crying, then we're not realizing prasada. Or if we're not able to just feel that and then suppress it so we don't put on a show for others. If, if that feeling doesn't arise in our heart, then we haven't actually realized prasada completely. Because that's what it actually is. The proof is that's what happens when Mahaprabhu honors prasadam. He freaks out. He just he just starts to cry. This is the reality. When he when he heard the Brahma Samhita, he started to cry. as His ecstatic symptoms started to trigger. When he sees Krishna's form, he starts to cry. These things happen. So, prasadam is actually non-different from Krishna. If you're tasting prasadam, you may as well be tasting Krishna's body. You may as well be licking his feet. There's no difference. It's actually the same thing. And when it's... When it's semi-solid and easily digested by a, ta- by a connection with a devotee or more devotees and more devotees, then it becomes even more sweet and relishable and nectarian, so, thus speaks the Bhagavatam at the very beginning. And this is our whole line, we're taking everything from the devotees, we're seeing all the remnants, all these purports are coming passed down to us, the remnants of breakfast, lunch and dinner are coming passed down to us, when we're on the, the altar or at home offering boga to Krishna, it's not just us and the Lord. It's not like everybody get out of the way. I'm offering Krishna some food now. What's actually happening is that we're submitting ourselves to our our gurus and senior devotees. We're saying, anyway, here it is. I try the best I can. Here's something. Please, you know, if you can add something, make it nicer. Give it to Krishna. I want him to enjoy. And you put Tulsi there. Who's Tulsi? She's a devotee. She's a great devotee. There's this... uh, in the Tulsi um, Kirtan in the morning, Tulasi Krishna Prayasi, right? We have these two things, Prayas and Shreyas. Shreyas means what's good for you in the long term, Prayas means what you want right away. So, like, if you you want to sleep in, that's your Prayas. But your Shreyas is to just get up and go to Mangalarti. Uh, there were a lot of devotees in Mangalarti this morning, by the way. That was ecstatic. So, Prayas and Shreyas. But Tulasi Krishna Prayasi means that she's immediately pleasing to Krishna. Right away, upon seeing her, upon hearing her name, Krishna is so satisfied. And if Krishna is satisfied, everyone's satisfied. How does that manifest? Well, it manifests like this. If you put Tulsi on the offering, Krishna is going to be satisfied. You're going to taste that satisfaction when you honor it. And if you don't have Tulsi, just say her name. That's also in the Shastra. In the Panchayatra Shastra, you can just say Tulsi, Tulsi, Tulsi. And he accepts that. Because you're saying, I don't have so much devotion, but Vrindadevi has devotion. Tulsi Maharani has devotion. So I'm calling on her, please be present in this offering. Who am I to say I have such devotion that Krishna will eat my offering? You be present. You be present, Guru Maharaj. You be present, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, all the Acharyas, Shukadev Goswami, Narada Muni. You can put them all on your altar. Lord Shiva, all these persons. You can put them all on your altar and say, please, add your bit to this offering. Do something. <laughs> I just have some kaliyuga Yuga ingredients I whipped together. It's the best I got. I have... Practically no devotion. Take this. And then the Acharyas, they pass it up all the way up to Krishna. Radharani offers it to Krishna. Krishna accepts it. Comes all the way down. Just like in the Bhoga Arti. Bhakti Nautaku describes. What does he say? He says that, you know, this offering is made to Krishna. He's having joking words, sidelong glances. He pretends he doesn't like it. He's teasing Radharani. This is happening. And then the remnants come down. Right? Radharani takes his remnants. Then her associates take her remnants. Then their servants take their remnants. And in this way, everyone's getting the remnants of the divine couple. And the further away you are, it's not that you lose. You actually gain because you have so many different devotees in between. You're getting all of their bhakti too. So this is our, our, this is our movement. This is our whole culture. And Satya so is saying, you don't understand this. You're actually, you think you're Daksha. You think you're expert, but you're not expert. You're actually an uncultured boor. You don't know what's going on here. Because Lord Brahma, he knows, he's vidhi, he knows what it is to be appreciating a devotee. He takes those flower garlands that are on Lord Shiva's feet. Whatever is there at Lord Shiva's feet, he takes. Because he knows the dust of the feet of the devotee, the water that washes their feet, if you put that on your head, if you honor it in your mind even, you become purified. But you don't understand that. You don't understand he's a Vaishnava. Therefore, you can't understand how he could be exalted while he runs around in a crematorium. Bhagavatparam pointed out to me that these skulls are the skulls of Vaishnavas. Lord Shiva is honoring the Vaishnava. These, this dust is the, the the ashes. is the ashes of burnt remnants of bodies of Vaishnavas. Lord Shiva is no fool. He doesn't just go into a crematorium and smear himself to to for fun. He doesn't just like hang out with ghosts and demons for no reason. He's uplifting the ghosts and demons. They have nowhere else to go. These poor, pathetic living entities that can only live in the most degraded tamagun areas, he actually elevates them. And his great quality is how he takes the Vaishnavas to be very, very dear. He takes the remnants of the Vaishnavas. And so he's very dear to the Lord. And anybody who takes his remnants becomes very dear to the Lord. And Sati gets this, Lord Brahma gets this, the devotees get this. Without consideration of material standing and without even a consideration of whether someone is so advanced spiritually or not, the very intelligent devotee honors the remnants of all devotees and you can do that in your mind even if you don't have the opportunity to steal it from their plate, they won't let you, they won't let you wash their plate, there's no way to do it, you can just think in your mind, Krishna, please, kindly place these remnants on my head, I want to honor this, this is, this is a spiritual activity you can do in your mind, if you can offer things to Krishna in your mind, you can take the remnants in your mind too, so those are some thoughts and reflections on prasadam, which is always one of the devotees favorite topics, so we could talk about anything I said, commented on, uh, including the other points that I brought, briefly touched on, or we can just share stories about prasadam. That's also bona fide. Thanks for tolerating. Hare Krishna. Yes? We'll start with Rinusuri. Yeah, it doesn't always become clear to later. What was your first point again? Uh, right, right, so then, yeah, about that. Here's the thing, since it's, on, it's a spiritual activity, there is no material consideration for honoring prasadam. You can do it in a way that doesn't materially implicate you. For example, if someone offers me something that I can't digest. I don't have to put it in my body to honor it. What are other ways of honoring something without putting it in your body? Put it on your head. Do it in your mind. Offer a prayer. Circumambulate it. Offer obeisances. These are all spiritual activities. You don't have to put it in your body. The body may not be spiritual. If I had a fully spiritual body, I could digest anything. I don't. I have have issues. If I'm full, if there's a, a global pandemic going around, maybe not the best idea to take the food that's come out of someone's mouth and put it back in your mouth. Maybe not, but you can always honor it because that's a spiritual activity. So if someone offers you something, you can't digest it, or it's like a Kaddish-y, it's got grains, you can honor in your mind. If it's, uh, you know, you're fasting that day for whatever reason, honor in your mind, offer obeisances, say a prayer. We have so many prayers. There's a few prayers in that section that glorify prasadam. There's pra- prayers in the section in the Mantyalila where Sarabha Bhattacharya, he's woken up by who comes to his home with Jagannath Prasad. And Sarbham Bhattacharya was so attached to the rules and regulations, would always wash himself thoroughly, do his mantras, Gayatri, everything before he would do any eating of any kind. As soon as he saw Jagannath Prasadam, he honored it and offered these two mantras. That One of them said, if, uh, if, if, if Prasadam comes from a distant place, if it's old, a bit stale, there's no consideration, it's still directly Krishna. And he honored it right there and then. And Mahaprabhu said, yes, now I am victorious. When I see that you have actually appreciated Prashadam for what it is, I know you've become a devotee. I know your heart has changed. Now I can be really considered a preacher. <laughs> because he had instructed him about the real meaning of Vedanta. So there's those, those, those prayers. You can make up your own prayers. You can offer obeisances to it. So So it's important to have this distinction. Because otherwise, we may think, Oh boy, it's an offense if I don't keep eating. They keep wanting to serve me. <laughs> what are you going to do? Just sit there all day just until your stomach bursts? They're not going to stop serving you. Little friendly hint. The devotees are never going to stop serving you prasadam. It's just too fun. Serving prasadam is the most fun you can have. So if you're full, you can do like they say in Jagannath Puri. You can say, tryptose me. I'm fully satisfied. They don't say no to prashadam. They never say no to, to Jagannath prashadam. You never say no to Jagannath. Well, just say no to prasadam. They say, tryptose me. I'm fully satisfied. And then they understand this person can't touch us anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. More. Yes. And then over there.
3: I had a question. Um, he has a nectar devotion. Yeah, nectar devotion. So Prabhupada says that prasadam is always pure, mm. even if it's touched by the mouth of a dog. I think
1: it's, yep.
2: It's, it's, There's also a statement in the Bihad Bhagavad Gita that in Jagannath Puri, if a maha falls out of the mouth of a hog, it's still completely pure.
3: In Jagannath Puri.
2: Yeah, well, the context is that it's in Puri, and they're glorifying Prasadam because that's the whole—that's the whole bob in Puri. But it—it it, it replies to all Prasadam.
3: So my my question is: um, Can we accept the remnants? So there's prasadam and it's been—you know—there's a plate that was. Eaten by someone who's, you know, not, in, like sometimes Prabhupada would say, in, uh, you know, once should accept the remnants of food of, uh, stuff from exalted Vaishnavas, exalted personalities, especially the spiritual master. Mm-hmm. So, can we accept the remnants of anyone, even if they're not a spiritual master or um, an exalted personality? Like, I, I had one experience just. You know, an example, um, I cooked for uh, some family um, and so we were all taking pristada and I cooked it there and offered it, you know, you know mentally. And my sister-in-law um, couldn't finish some of her veneer so she kind of offered it to me. So it like a conflicting situation. Do I am I gonna accept her remnants? Or, well, I at least accept the remnants of my spiritual master and exalted devotees, but it was like a conflicting thing. I, it's personal, but then at the same time it's her remnants.
2: Well there's a few considerations. Uh, in LA in the early days, there was one devotee who after Sunday feast would go to the back and there was a the the Plates were thrown out, and he would take remnants from the guests off the, off, the, off the plates, and the devotees were telling Srila Prabhupada. And the devotees' claim was that look, if these are remnants, this is non-different from Krishna, I can do this, and I have I'm honoring the devotees. They're also devotees. There's this is claiming Prabhupada said you can do, but you should be careful to understand that you don't want to do something that's going to interrupt your service. If you get sick, that's there's no there's no justification for that. But the point is that you have to have the right mentality, aside from like Getting some communicable disease, which we, we talked we talked about, because this is the era of COVID. You can do you can do that if you have the correct mentality. Um, to the degree that one has a material consideration, then to that degree they're actually materially bound to the circumstances. So, if you take somebody's remnants, you are associating with their consciousness, right? And. Um, Therefore, you you know you should be you sh- there's a there's a consideration of being careful that there's instructions in that way. At the same time, for example, uh Das in this section is described. He didn't he didn't consider whether Vaishnava was higher or lower. He actually legitimately felt that since they're all practicing devotional service, I will take the remnants of any of them. If someone is on the level of actually seeing their sister-in-law who is not practicing devotional service in like a, a, a a regular way, presumably, as being a Vaishnava because they've honored Prashadam or said Krishna's name, and they actually have that realization, then I think that they would want to take those remnants on that, on that, on that consideration. If not, um, there may be like a, a mixed kind of message from the, the Shastra. Well, be careful. Those things are there. The Uttamadikari doesn't consider, because they consider everybody's engaged in Krishna's service. Um, Kalidasa's in Uttam uttamadikari as far as we can understand. Those are the, the activities of the uttamadikari. Um, you can also think this is Krishna's prasadam, it never becomes impure, like you said. I had the same situation, my mother's remnants, right? And I just thought, well, heck, you know, mother's the first guru. She's done so much for me. Um, she's got so many great qualities. Prabhupada said, if, if there's a good son, it means good mother. I owe her so much. I mean, she's not really practicing devotional service, but I, I, wanna, I didn't just feel like, well, I don't like to waste food. That's, that's nice, but it's a material consideration. I actually thought, well, I should honor her. I can't very well like bow down to her feet. She's just going to get embarrassed. So I'll, I'll take her persona. And I did. And it felt correct to me because I, I, I considered it in that way. Um, I think it's a very personal thing. I don't think anybody can really tell you. I think you have to be, um, like you were pointing out, we have to know our own motivations. And especially in, in today's age, you should, you should know if it's going to get you sick. Because uh, we've got to deal with the body for what it is. And if you're going to get sick, then don't, don't do it. Be practical. You can honor in your mind. That also works. Um, you can, in your mind, just like eat all of it and honor it. Put it on your head and offer prayers. And that's valid. Maybe you can't even take it off their plate. Maybe there's not like an opportunity for that or it's not appropriate. So um, those are some thoughts. Hope that helps. I think Champaglata...
0: I was just appreciating that pointed out how Prabhupada through all the previous purports he didn't um, he didn't say oh you know Sati's real intention was this he still used all of those verses and the reasons why she was saying she wanted to go to teach us lessons mm-hmm. you know um, and I just think it's a really important point for taking Prabhupada's words and context, always. Because, you know, we could isolate some of the earlier statements and make certain conclusions about Sati without taking the entire story into context. Right. And her later intentions and what Prabhupada said. So, I guess my two points are number one, appreciating that Prabhupada takes every opportunity to teach us. And number two, that we should always look at the full picture when looking at Prabhupada's
2: statements. Definitely. Especially when you're hearing things about uh, the different aspects of our material psychology, which we're affected by to some degree or another. Prabhupada was and will continue to point out to us what our material tendencies are on different levels. And um, those levels overlap. And they kind of interrupt each other. And they're also in conflict with one another. And they're also being dominated, hopefully, by our tendencies in the spiritual platform. So they're not, um, they're not like, just because Prabhupada's saying that a woman, for example, has a tendency to want to go and have a social outing, doesn't mean that that's their destiny. (laughs) It's not the only thing he said about women or about conditioned souls. And these books are encyclopedic. And so we have to have the intelligence and patience, because it takes patience. To read a lot, hear a lot, digest it, put it all together, and see what is this really saying about me, first of all. And then how can I apply it in a general sense about other people, society, the world. Because all these instructions are coming from different angles and at different times to different levels of our psyche, which we're often not aware of, So she wasn't aware of these different levels, presumably of what her motivations were for doing something. and. Um, Somebody who is aware, because they're not actually implicated in that way, can point out these things for us, and then we have to have the the patience to actually be like, okay, how does that fit in with everything else? I also know that is also coming down from authority, and like, how does that all work together? Instead of well, if this is right, then that's got to be wrong, and if that's right, then this has got to be wrong. You know, this kind of weird binary thinking. I mean, um, we're not we're not a Yes, no, false, true, you know, spiritual tradition. That's not how our, our, our epistemology works. That's not how our logic works. Achintya Beta Beta Tattva means that Krishna is not different from his parts and parcels. So two things that are contradictory can both be correct at the same time. It takes intelligence to be able to balance that. So that's what I thought when I heard your, your very intelligent comment. Thank you. Um, anything else, Mother Nidra? Did you want to give us... Any paneer? Oh, well, Can I yeah. have some paneer?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so she would mix the whole thing up. And then she said after
1: that, I guess didn't have takers after And Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so many stories
0: of uh, cooks and servants. And even like a lot of the servants who would do this massage. Mm. It's was to go to the story, because it's time to
2: And just on the point of Srila Prabhupada, if you look at pictures of Prabhupada and videos of Prabhupada honoring Prasadam, you know, this is the world Acharya. He's translating these unbelievably potent books. He's got thousands of letters coming in. He's dealing with world leaders. He's got so many things he could be doing. He still takes 45 minutes to sit there and honor Prasadam with great care and attention every single day. That's his attitude to Prasadam. So I'm always inspired by that. I want to, I want to approach that. I want to be... Uh, moved by that so I can actually see the spiritual uh, quality of the activity and and the substance. This thing that I do every day, you know, I was was taking Mahaprabhu while I was preparing this class and I was thinking, am I I really appreciating this the way I'm I'm about to talk about how I should be appreciating this? So if you'll all bless me that I can one day do that, hopefully soon then um, perhaps we'll all be experiencing these ecstatic symptoms of Mahaprabhu (laughs) Shodha At least internally. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Krishna's prasadam and the prasadam of his devotees ki jai. Vānsha kalbhatra piṣṭhā kṛpāsintu bīyevacā pādhītānām pāvanepyo Hare Krishna. Time to have your... Time to break your Akadashi fast. So, Tvādashi prasad ki jai.